0: Blessed Saviour, to be more in more like thee. I am praying that thy spirit, like a dove. May-
1: real talk, real people, real stories. The Keys Jizz Podcast. Ch-ch-ch-yeah! Welcome, everyone to another He's Just podcast. I'm your host and founder of the He's Just a Social Worker movement, Jules DuJay with another amazing show for you today. But before we get started, I wanna remind everyone that this platform was built because way too often as people, we were overlooked and labeled, but this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. I wanted to talk to you guys about an important topic. According to the CDC, one in four women and one in seven men will experience physical violence by their intimate partner at some point during their lifetimes. About one in three women and nearly one in every six men will experience some form of sexual violence during their lifetimes. Factually speaking, domestic violence can impact anyone no matter their income, race, socioeconomic status. According to the Washington Post, there were 142,000 immigrants deported from the United States because of their undocumented status. Today's guests will help us understand the dynamics of being involved in an emotional avalanche but also facing deportation So the fact that she has dealt with both domestic violence and facing deportation at the same time makes her very unique in many ways. I want you guys to meet someone who's very special in the work of domestic violence, but let's listen to her story. Cheryl Rose Green was on the brink of a successful singing career when she met and fell in love with a charming man. She never imagined that the man she loved will become her worst nightmare. She was beaten, humiliated, and abused when she was nine months pregnant. There was violence. There was agony. Cheryl Rose Green is a survivor, a fighter, and now a motivational speaker for domestic violence and well-known gospel singer. Cheryl is available for bookings, for concerts, for supports for all women and men who need attention and support around domestic violence. She is also an author, written a book, Abused Under His Charm, which can be found on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. She's also written a stage play with the same title, Abused Under His Charm. The stage play is also available for bookings. We are honored to have you on our show. Cheryl, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you, thank you. I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you, Mr. Jules.
1: Well, thank you so much. And let's first get started. Just tell us a little bit of what you're working on right now so that we get to meet you and know what you're currently uh, up to.
0: Well, I'm currently working on a um, domestic violence all-white dinner ball, and it's bringing abuse to light. Where others are going to share their stories. We're going to have motivational speakers such as yourself. And just to motivate women and men who's out there and thinking they're alone. Just to let them know that they're not alone. And uh, what we're going to do is to have the survivors walk the red carpet with a candle and taking their self-worth back. So it's going to be so awesome.
1: Mm. I'm truly excited and honored to be part of that distinguished panel. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and your walk in this domestic violence plight,
0: well, um, I um, i was was—I'm not going to say I'm a victim. I was a victim, hmm. so um, and I got out. So I want to—God save me—to save others. So I decided to. Um, I remember one day I was in my in my house, and I heard the voice it said, "Share your story." So I went and I shared my story, and I put it on um, CDs, and it was just. It was all over the world. And a lot of persons got motivated. I have people called me and said, if it wasn't for your testimony, I would have killed myself. So um, just to know that people are motivated and inspired, it's really a blessing. So, um, and also, I've written a book with the same story. So you want me to get into what I've been through or
1: well, this is your show, Cheryl, and we'll, and we'll pace it in that way. But for now, I know that domestic violence, unfortunately, was a part of your life. If you can right. help our listeners understand a little bit of some of the things you dealt with during that journey, during that walk.
0: Okay. Um, I came in the United States as, as a very young age. And um, I, my first relationship, I came here back in 1987. And I met and fell in love with a guy when I was nine, eight. No, when I was 21. And um, he was, it was, it was, it was, was very good at first, but the first six months was good. But after that, then he starts to get controlling. You know, we all know that it will really start physical right away. It's, it's, it's mental, then it, it escalates. So I wasn't really looking, I, I wasn't really paying that too much attention, you know? Um, we were thinking that, oh, it's just because he loves me, he wants to tell me what to do, not knowing is a part, is a form of control. But anyway, I became pregnant when I was, I, I became pregnant, like the sixth month in a relationship, I became pregnant. And the abuse gets physical at this point. I remember when I was three months pregnant, um, I went to a Dunkin' Donut to get something to eat, but he didn't know where I was. And he called and I didn't answer the phone. So he came by my house and he, you know, yelling and all these things and asked me where I was. And I told him. And he took me in the car, take me down to a park. And he gave me, he just punched me in my belly mm. with his hand and punched me in my stomach. I mean, I, I see stars. It was so painful, you know. Mm. And then he take me back, take me back, to my apartment and I was sitting on the bed and we're sitting there talking and I'm like, no, I'm not doing anything. And, you know, because right away thinking that I'm cheating or something. And he had, you know, those shoes um, that the construction workers wear with the higher end of the front. Mm -hmm. He just kicked me, like kicked me off the bed straight to the floor. And I started to, you know, bleed a little bit and stuff like that. Went to the doctor. Of course, we're going to tell the doctors. We're not going to tell the doctor the truth, you know. But it, it continues until I was about nine months pregnant when I was ready to give birth. Um, I went to, to a store to go do my, to get some hair, to do my hair, to, you know, because I want to look good. And right away, he think I'm with another man. So when I came home, <clears throat> um, his back was turned to the street, but I came from the side. And I called his name, like I would say, Robert's. And he would turn around, but the look on his face, I knew I was in trouble. And he says where he was, and I said I was at the store. He said you're lying. You was with some man, and you know, so he took me in the house, grabbed him by my arm, and threw me in a brick wall. Mm-hmm. When I was nine months in a brick wall, the back of my head started to bleed. So I put my hand on at the back of my head, and I looked at it, it, was blood. And then a few seconds, I felt something run down my leg. When I look, it was blood, like gush of blood. And I passed up on the floor, and I said to him, "Can you just call nine one for me, nine one one?" And he says no, and he walked away, and left me on the floor. So the hmm. next door neighbor is figury on the wall, you know those um, things on the wall, because the impact, the hit, the impact, it fell off the wall, of his wall and break. So he came over to to find out what was going on, and he realized he saw me on the floor, so he called nine one one, and they rushed me to Broward General Hospital. And when I went there, the doctor, the look on the doctor's face, I know it was something, something bad. So he informed me that my placenta was ripped.
1: Mm.
0: My placenta was badly torn, and there's nothing he could do about it. Of course, he asked me what's wrong, and I said to him, mm. doctor, I fell. And he said, a simple fall cannot tear your placenta the way it's ripped. Something is wrong. And of course, I still lied all the way through. And he said, there's nothing we can do about it. We're going to send you on bed rest. But of course, I couldn't do bed rest because I have to work to pay bills. Because I was living, at this point, I was living with someone. A family member, as a matter of fact. So I still have to work to pay bills. So I remember I was at work. And I, I was working with the elderly gentleman. And I felt something came out of me. And I, was, I thought it was my baby. When they rushed me to Park Regional Hospital, When the doctor checked, it was a piece of my placenta came out. The doctor told my mother that I'm going to need blood transfusion. But of course, I have a praying mother. She said, no, I'm going to pray for my daughter. So prayer works, you know, and she prayed for me and stuff like that. And, you know, but I was still bleeding back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until, you know, um, finally my baby wasn't born. You wouldn't come at all. So my mother brings some fire warriors and they prayed for me and she put her hands in my stomach and she said, the blood of Jesus is against you. And right away, I felt something slide out. When I looked, it was my baby. Mm. But I was so tired because of the pain. and the, I mean, the excruciating pain. I never felt so much pain in my entire life. It was so painful because the placenta ripped. I was infected and then the baby was in my because I wasn't eating. And I saw the death. I saw my death in front of my face. My mother prayed for me. And I remember one day in the hospital room, the doctors, the nurses, the police, everybody was around my bedside to ask me what's wrong. And I said, I fell. I would never tell them who did it. And that's what we do. We Mm -hmm. lie for them. We love them, but they don't love us.
1: Cheryl, let's talk a little bit about some of what you said, which was impactful and Although this was years ago, we offer our support and condolences because no woman or man should have to face some sort of abuse of this magnitude where someone is physically about to kill another person. And in this case, you were pregnant and this was twofold in many ways. Can you share a little bit more about that piece that power and control that took place, and now that you weren't able to face the truth to say what really happened, what happened to you and your baby at this point?
0: My baby um, passed away at birth, you know, um, after four hours of... Um, four hours after having him, four hours he passed away in my arm. Um, I was... You know, very ill afterwards, you know, I still had to do little checkups at the hospital. Even right now, I still have, you know, I don't want to get into it, but I still facing a lot of difficulties. Mm-hmm. from it. But thank God I still have two children after that. So I'm blessed. But my son didn't make it, you know, but I'm here for a purpose.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that purpose. Spirituality is something that's been embedded in you. Talk yes. about your history with the spiritual movement. Obviously, you shared that your mom, also very powerful in this movement. Let us learn a little bit more about that.
0: Yes, I grew up in a Christian home. My father, a bishop, my mother was an evangelist. I grew up every morning, my mother would wake us up for a prior meeting. she teaches teach us how to just put God in front of everything, you know, and um, she instilled that in me. So I grew up in a spiritual home. And I know that God was gonna bring me through. He might not, my son didn't make it, but he saved me to save others. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just glad to be here.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the supports, because obviously, as a Christian woman, you 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 had supports inside of the church. How was the church? Family supporting you under these circumstances, were they aware that you were dealing with this? And was your spouse or partner involved in the church in any way at this time?
0: No. To be honest with you, nobody knows what I was going through. I hid it from people. So when I came out with my testimony, a lot of people were shocked because Mm. I hid it so good. You know, sometimes they would see me like my blue, my black and blue eyes, and I would say, My eye, my eyeliner caught me my eye. You know what I mean. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't tell anybody, but I had um, the resources out there, which is women in distress, and I did counseling with them after a while, and it helps. It helps them because there's other women out there who've been through a similar situations. So everybody get together, and it really encourages you, you know, and motivates you when it gets you know, among a lot of people who face that situation.
1: So let's talk a little bit about that. So you weren't able to share out and you had your reasons. Then you can tell us a little bit why those reasons were. But right now, if you have a churchgoer who is undergoing or dealing with this that you suspect or that your church congregation suspects, what are the steps that you're taking now that was not taking when you were dealing with this situation? What is happening different now?
0: Just um, speak out. Speak out. And I tell a lot of persons in the church, there's a lot of people in the church are going through it, even pastors' wives. Mm. And they're hiding it because of um, they don't want maybe to lose members. So my advice to them is to speak out. You know, I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's your bishops, your pastors, your deacons. Speak out before it's too late.
1: Very powerful message there, Cheryl, and it really takes a lot of courage. We are very honored to have you on our show because your story is one that doesn't resemble many in so many ways. And I know that you've dealt with grief and the loss of your baby. and You had to face troubles with domestic violence right after the loss. Did you go back home to the abuser? What did you do after that? After now you lost your child?
0: Honestly, I did went back to him. Mm. Um, and I think one of the reasons because I was on documents and he would put that over my head you know saying that if so and so I would call immigration stuff like that so I was kind of scared too and another thing that he was my first relationship mm. and I wanted it to work so bad you know so I went back with him unfortunately
1: how was that conversation with your mother and your family members how difficult or were there any difficulties when you said I'm going back?
0: Um, my mother, my mother wasn't living in the states. She was living in Jamaica, so mm-hmm. she don't know really much, you know. And then, and to be honest with you, uh, my other family member, we're not too that close. So, where that is concerned, it's not really.
1: You know, we thank you for your for your honesty and uh, openness. We believe that on this on this platform, we always continuously are thinking about the ways to support our listeners. And today, for anyone who is dealing with domestic violence in New York, we want to give out the information: the National Domestic Violence Hotline, English, Spanish, and over 200 languages are interpreted here. So tell us now, Cheryl, walk us through a little bit about your book. Did you write your book right after? Was that something that you started thinking about? Or was the journey for you to continue to work? Because I know other things started to pop up for you right after. Tell us a little bit about your book. And did you have any thoughts about your story being told then?
0: To be honest with you, the book is, I wrote the book years later, mm. you know? Um, and the um, reason being is because back then I wasn't ready to face it. But now, I, years later, I said, you know what? I'm gonna come up with this book because it's not only for me. But it's for others out there who are going through a similar situation, you know. And this book is not only for the victims; it's for the abusers as well, to let them know that you know they don't have to really do that, you know, um, put themselves in put themselves in our shoe. How would you feel if someone did that to you? You know. So this book is very powerful. Again, it's not for only the victims, but the abusers as well. And the name of it is "Abused Under His Charm" because he was so charming. He smiles. He loved the Lord and all that. But underneath all that smile was a very abusive man. Hmm.
1: Again, lifting you up and the women who are dealing and men who are dealing through this plight. There is a powerful quote that's in your book that's written by you. It reads, you are not responsible for falling down, but you are responsible for getting back up. What does that mean?
0: You're not responsible for falling down. You're not responsible for someone to call your name or to feel degraded because they, you know, they put it, you know, they're the one that do it, not you. But you are responsible for taking back your self-worth to realize that you are worthy and you deserve better. You are beautiful despite the scars and despite the constant degradation. You are worthy.
1: I had the I had the honor of hearing your testimony and thank you for that beautiful answer because Women, we are all beautiful. And today I talk to the men as well. I'm not perfect myself, but I do stand here to respond and respect the men who are dealing with troubles in their marriages, to seek therapy, to, to, to maybe step away if that's what's needed. But avoid having to have these situations ball up, become something that's unbearable. Many a times we are dealing with these situations and they snowball they get really bad, really fast. So remember to work with one another, find your family supports and find the people who you can trust to seek the help. Exactly. So, you know, there is there, something unique about you that became very different. Dealing with the domestic violence was one thing. You go back to the abuser to try to work this out. What happens? Do you stay with him? What happens to you in regards to immigration? because something started different happening for you. Share with us.
0: Okay, yes, I went back with him. And then I remember I was sitting down on I, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> sorry. And I heard the voices, Sharon, you need to get it together. And one day I said to him, I said, you know what? This man could have killed me too. So I called him and I said, you know what? It's over, it's done. You know, I gather the strength. I don't know where that strength comes from. that comes from the Lord. And I gather the strength to leave, and I never look back since. He begged and he pleaded, and I said, No, I never look back. So, um, a lot of times we have friends and family who tell you, You're an idiot. Why you stay with them? But they don't understand. If you don't take a, 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 a walk in your shoe, you will understand. Still be a hero. Still lend an ear to that person. Don't yeah. call them idiot. Don't, don't degrade them or put them down, you wouldn't understand when your heart is tangled. Because sometimes we see the signs and we think we can change them. But when your heart get tangled in it, it's very hard to get out of it. But when you speak to someone, and if you keep it to usher, it's gonna harder for you to get out of the situation. Speak out before it's too late. Um, about the immigration situation now. After all that, you know, you know I was on documents. And my mother, my darling mother, passed away. My mother that prayed my strength, prayed me out of the hospital. She fell to her death. And um, I found it my only means to reach her to say my last goodbye. So I got papers. And I wanted to see my mom. So about a year later, um, I was told that. Because I had a song that was doing great on the radio. It was number one. So a lot of people kind of knew me. So yeah. they walk up my picture, the feds, and they said, they're looking for Cheryl. So I got a call from someone saying, Cheryl, feds is looking for you. But I, I know because i vision visioned it. You know, i vision visioned that something is going on. I'm going to be locked up somewhere. You know, anyway, I remember getting, getting that dream that night that feds came for me. And I left the house, and right after I left, they came. Because guess what I did now? And I'm going to be honest, because... I applied for papers because I want to see my mom and they charged me for false information. You can put it out there, that's fine Um, because that's my mom and I'll do anything to see her, you know, and I was undocumented for 30 years. So the feds came and they picked me up and they took me down to federal jail. I did six weeks in federal jail and then after six weeks they took me to immigration jail I came out of immigration jail, and when I came out of immigration jail, I got pregnant with my son that I have now. Then about two years later, I was told that they're looking for me again. It's it's a long story, but anyway, um, I'm here now. I got my papers because of domestic violence, um, because I was a victim. I have to show proof that I was a victim. So the lawyer went to the hospital and got my son death certificate and filed for a waiver for me. So I got a waiver. And now I'm a United States citizen six years ago. So, you know, I I struggle. At 15 years, I was struggling with, with deportation, but I fight and I win.
1: You know what, Cheryl, that is a beautiful story, and this is your show. We will not shortchange your story because as difficult as it was, it was a beautiful one. It is a story that should be heard because we believe that many people who are dealing with similar situations, because we are. How many of us who are out here are willing to (laughs) falsify documentation when we hear there are mother, a close family member, is passing away in their country many of us in your shoes would do the same thing over and over again and did not care or we will not worry about the outcomes because it may be the last time that we'll see someone who has given us life so we give you an applause for your courage and unfortunately you dealt with these circumstances but the like the whirlwind of what you dealt with and you talked about a walk in someone's shoes yes it is important For someone to understand that each story is different, many of us who are walking or looking from the outside, it's very easy to say because their relationships may be intact or not. You should walk away. It's very easy to do. But there's a lot of things we need to consider. The documentation, the financial supports, the psychological warfare, the gaslighting, the abuse, physical, the mental abuse next steps for your children, if any. So there are so many layers to this. So we applaud you and any person who is dealing with this, that this is not easy. And we're sending positive energy to anyone who is listening that they too can find ways to find support. But through your journey of 30 years, there was so much that you had to deal with. So now you got locked up the first time. Was this the first time that you got incarcerated under this situation? Yes. there was more to come after this.
0: What happened is that feds, um, they charged me for the passport. And then um, two years later, they came back for me when I was pregnant, um, the state for the driver's license. Mm -hmm. So, and um, it was so traumatizing because, and then as a matter of fact, I almost lost my son, the one Mm -hmm. I have now, the one, you know, when I was pregnant, when they picked me up the second time. I remember they took me into Chrome, immigration. They took me to jail first. And I was in the pregnancy ward and I didn't eat anything but orange for the whole three weeks. And I could feel my baby moving up and down inside of me. And I'm like, oh my God, I know we're probably hungry. But I just didn't feel like eating. I was worrying. I was fretting. I was, you know. So when I did my three weeks in in state jail, they took me again for the second time in immigration. And when I was in immigration, I saw some numbers on the wall and I'm like, I'm going to call these people because I'm going to lose my baby again. So I pick up the phone and I call the numbers and I said, I'm going to lose my baby. And then when I was there, I felt something came down. It was something warm. When I looked, it was a gush of blood come down. So They rushed me to the hospital nearby to the immigration jail. And when they took me there, my son was moving. So I guess they get little cowards. So they sent me home on recognance where I have to check into immigration every six months. So I did that for five long years, and um, each time I'm going to immigration, I'm worried. Oh my God, when are they going to pick me up? What are they going to send me home? And it was such a very trying time, you know, living up under buildings because I had to pay rent, I had to pay lawyers, and you know, when you have you know, there are no papers, they pay little or nothing. So I had to work so hard to get that money and to pay bill, pay rent and to all these things. I couldn't manage both. So I end up getting evicted. So I end up in an abandoned building with rats and moles and roaches and all that stuff. But while I was in that um, abandoned building, I still hold the faith because I know that after the storm, there must be a calm. Hmm. I know one day God was going to bring me out.
1: During this time, Cheryl, that you were pregnant when you were in the abandoned building situation? No, I, had my baby. I
0: had my baby at this point.
1: You had your baby at this point, and where was the father of your new baby? Was he around to support or no? No. Okay. So at this point, let's let's just talk a little bit about this because I want our listeners to get a little feel. Every six months you're going in for this so called checkup. And yes. at any given point, we both feel now that you may be arrested, you may be apprehended and kept. Exactly. You, you don't know what the next moves are. So right. how- how difficult was it for you to continue to work and keep your head space, feed yourself, was, move on?
0: It was difficult. It was so difficult. I cried. Tears was my breakfast, my lunch and my dinner. I cried 24 hours because it was, so, it was too much. And I have a little boy. I didn't have much money. And then I have to pay lawyers. And then... I'm at family members' house. They threw me out. I had to walk the street of sunrise with no place to go. But I never turned to man, I never turned to drugs. Mm. I still kept the faith. And I'm here today. Bless him.
1: Well, let's talk about that time when you got the information before you got the release. And I had a chance to listen to your testimony. It was very powerful. Let's talk a little bit about you had 30 days left. Yes. Somehow, some way. Walk us through that.
0: Well, um, again, I'm going to cut through because it's a long story. But um, I remember I was at a concert in New Jersey, and I heard the voices, um, call the toll-free number. There's a toll-free number that you call to find out the status of your case. Because as a matter of fact, the lawyer, let me me go back, all right? They gave me 30 days to leave the country voluntarily the, the first time. And then I, I came home and I cried and I said, God, what am I going to do? I just lost my mother. I lost my son and now I'm going to be deported. So I, I I heard the voices, open the phone book. When I opened the phone book, I called about 10 lawyers. They told me that they cannot help me. I closed the phone book and I cried, I cried, I cried. And, and I heard the voices, open the phone book again. And when I opened the phone book, it was that of Mitchell Cohen. And I called him and I says, I have a case. I don't know if you can help me. He said, I don't know. It seems as if there's no waiver for you, but come in. So I went in and he started questioning, have you been a victim of domestic violence? I said, yes. He said, really? I said, yes. He said, that can get your waiver. It depends on if you can get um, proof and stuff like that. So I get all the proof and he sent it in. They gave me, um, they said the immigration said I should pay $500 to secure my spot on the plane. So I paid that. But at this time, a lawyer sent in for a, um, what do you call it? Not a waiver, uh, um, to extend, I forgot the name of it. But mm. usually appeal, usually appeal takes one year. It took them five years to answer me. And within that five years, they send the money back that I paid with interest. My lawyer was like, how would that happen? I said, I don't know. God, mm. God is working on my case, but anyway, I remember I went to New York. At this time, I'm still waiting. He put in the appeal, and usually it takes one year. Five years going, two years passing, nobody. Until the fifth year, I got a call from my lawyer that they have a court date for me. I went to court, and the law- the judge give me another 30 days to leave again. The lawyer says, I appeal her case because she's a victim of domestic violence. So the lawyer gave me time, gave him time to get that mm-hmm. together. So I remember I was in New Jersey and the voice said to me, call that toll-free number. When I call the toll-free number, because I'm waiting now for the appeal to come through. When I checked the, um, the toll-free number, it says you are ordered deported within 30 days. And I said, Jesus, I cried. I went, went back to Florida, packed my stuff, went to, um, to Pennsylvania, went to live with somebody. They threw me up, they started to act funny, you know, tried to start to treat me bad. So I'm counting down the days now. I said, oh my God. I can't do no more appeal. That's it. So the 20 days coming, I'm like, oh my God, I have 10 more days. Then the 25, 26, 27, 28, and the 29th day, I got a call from an attorney that, Cheryl, they approve your U visa. Mm. 30 days they gave me, and the 29th day, they approved the U visa. The U visa lasts only four years. The third year, I can apply for my green card the third year come around I didn't have any money nothing at all I didn't have no money I did a concert in New York family members call and tell them that it's a lie and nobody shows up at the concert it was flat so I didn't have the money to pay for the green card then a friend of mine said to me Cheryl there is you can get you can get on waiver for that for those you don't have to pay so I went and I did my research and realized it was true so when I went back to Florida remember it was, the four, it was three years before I, I could file to get my green card. Three years run out, but I still have another year. It was like the four years end like November 25th. And November 20th, that's, I'm, I'm working on just five days now. It's the it's it's, it's, honesty. you get where I'm coming from, Mr. Joes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have four days left. And I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I, I sent in the papers myself. I didn't have no lawyers. I did it on my own. So I send them the papers. I know that they're gonna ask me for more proof, but I just want them to get it before it expire. So they got it, and then they called me back and said they text me, they they send me uh, a mail and said that I need more proof. So I had to get um, stuff from the domestic violence shelters. I had to get my son's birth paper and stuff like that to school because you cannot travel when you get the U visa, and to to show them that I never travel out of the country. So I did it myself, and I get all that paperwork, and I sent it in myself. And I was still working on eggshells, because I'm like, oh my god, when am I going to get this papers? It's 15 years I'm fighting deportation. And I remember I was I getting evictions. And I got evicted. And I remember I was getting evicted that day. And I was packing my stuff to leave. And I heard a ping come in my um, email. It was, when I looked, it was from USCIS immigration. Mm. I said, oh my god, I don't know if they're going to. Because you know my faith got weak. Yeah. Open it, it says that you are approved for your green card. And I was like, Oh my god, (laughs) I cried, and I was at this point, I was evicted, I was going to a homeless shelter, and God just come through for me. And within one week, I got my green card in the mail. And then, I mean, after that, I filed for my citizenship after five years. When I went for my citizenship, I didn't get it at the same time, and I was like, Oh my god. They're saying that they have to. Um, they need further evaluation, but they saw my, all uh, my in my. They have my my um my, file. Document, my file. So I saw that the, the immigration they know exactly what was going on because they're the other one that gave me my green card, and he said there's nothing I can do right now. You'll hear from us, and I was like, oh my god, that don't sound right. Then about three months later, they emailed me that they want a second interview, and I said second interview for citizenship. That don't look right. Mm-hmm. I went and they asked me what was wrong and if you're going to lie because you have to, you cannot lie. So they asked me what's wrong and I told them what happened and stuff like that. They saw my, my domestic violence and stuff like that. And she says to me, I can't give you no answer right now. You'll hear from us if we deny you or we approve it. I went home. About an hour later, I got an email that I have a swearing date for my censorship. Mm-hmm. So now I'm a citizen after 30 years. Bigger yes. years.
1: and fighting for 15 years. Sheryl Rose Green, warrior leader. Listen, a woman that's on the run is one thing, but a woman who is facing adversity, who is dealing with domestic violence and is dealing with loss and grief at the same time. You are a superhero. We are very proud. To have you on this platform but i'm also very proud to walk with you now on this journey and being part of this show that we're going to do together march 16th in florida tell us a little bit about that i know that you opened up telling us what it would look like but what's the reason behind you doing this why 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 do this all white event why is this important to our listeners and to the people around the world who may be impacted
0: because a lot of us, we are still in our shell. Although we come out of the situation, we still have problems with the aftermath. Mm. It's still in our shell. We don't want to go anywhere. So I want everybody to come together to know that we are pure. We are worthy. Just come on out and speak. Listen to other people's stories and even share yours. He will give you encouragement to share yours and to let you know that you're beautiful. You know, we're going to dance. Because when is the last time you dance? When is the last time you shake a leg? When is mm. the last time you laugh? So a bunch of everybody like the, the survivors gonna come together and hug each other and let each other know that we are beautiful despite the scars and despite the constant, the name call, the constant degradation, we are worthy. So I encourage all of y'all to come on out, even if you wasn't a victim, just be of support because you you have children and your children need to see this. Mm. You know, even the stage play, it is powerful.
1: Will there be opportunities virtually for people who cannot travel and can't go to Orlando? Is that a possibility or am I thinking too much
0: here? I'm thinking about that. Mm -hmm. We can do, yeah, we're going to do live. We're going to do live Facebook and on YouTube. Yes.
1: Perfect. You know, there's another thing I wanted to talk about your book. Let's talk a little bit about the power behind Abused Under His Charm. And I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity just for them to understand a little bit of now that you wrote the book and now that it's ready, what do you want our listeners to get out of this book, which I plan to have on my website as well, Abused Under His Charm. Tell us what you want our listeners to get out of this book.
0: Self-worth. Know that you are, you can do it, you know, some people it takes years or some it takes months but you can get over it you know don't beat yourselves up if you if you you know it's it's okay to to you know you're not gonna forget about it you're mm. gonna start you know because we're human beings but you can so you can by just reading this book you'll get encouragement you'll get motivation you'll just get your self-worth back you know mm. just listen to other people's stories and you know as I said a lot of people reach out to me and say Sherry sure, if it wasn't for your book I would commit suicide, you Mm. know, so my story will help you, you understand, and others. And again, it's not for the victims, only it's for the abusers as well. Beautiful.
1: Beautiful. Cheryl, what do you do for for your, let's say, your downtime? I know that church is a big piece. What do you do for self-care? Are there other things that you do to keep yourself? I do my
0: nails, I do my hair. You know, yes. I love to sing. So I have my boom in my house. Yes. I sing, you know, on my social media. You know, mm-hmm. I read my Bible. I prayed. You know, singing is very powerful. You know, songs are very powerful. I listen to some good encouragement songs and stuff like that. Because we all have a little downtime sometimes. Mm-hmm. Although we come out of the situation, we still have a little thing deal with the aftermath. You know what I mean? And every now and then we kind of, you know, still remember, reflect back on that. So what I did, I just mm. you know.
1: Now, I, I wanted to ask, now that you are from victim to Victor, from maybe facing deportation. deportation now to documented, what are you doing to help the women who come to you now seeking support and you see yourself in them, the younger you now? How are you helping these women who are coming to you
0: not to fall I mean I am gonna give you an example. I have this one girl that calls me and she told me that her husband leave her. And she's chasing him, chasing him, and she, and every time he chased him, he cussed her out. I said, Listen to me. You need to stop calling this man. Don't call him. Don't call him because for some reason when you when when you when you're too needy, they treat you, they don't treat you too well you're too needy. Don't act as if the only thing you need is God. You understand? So don't let a man make you feel as if you are so desperate for him. You know what I'm saying? I said, you can do better. You can do better. Trust me. You can. You don't need him. If it's not working out, you have children. Plus you have children. I said, if you stay in this relationship, you can do harm to your children. I'm good because they can grow up to be victims or abusers as well because they sit in the home. So you need to save your children. Take yourself away from that. I know it's not easy, but take yourself away from that. Anytime you feel like you want to call her or you want to call me, we can talk. Mm. And that's what she did. And she's doing great today. And now he's chasing her now, and she don't want him.
1: Show your worth. I love that. Tell us a little bit about your two beautiful babies now. How are are they dealing, and, and, and have you had to share your story, if any, in any way? Or what are you thinking about doing towards that
0: conversation? I shared with my daughter. My son saw a few. I don't, I'm not. It's not only one abuse. It was cycle of abuse. Hmm. So, um, and the reason I think that is because we, I didn't heal. So I just jump into a relationship without me healing. You know, because if you if you, you have to take a long time for yourself, you know, because we have that wall. And if we have that wall up, it makes no sense getting into a relationship because you're always gonna you're gonna end up being the abusers, the abuser, because you're gonna always wanna you know, try to defend yourself. And sometimes the men don't do anything but because of what we've been through. So you don't need to get into a relationship after you jump out of one. Just take time for it out by yourself and heal. But my mm. son, he saw, you know, me get beat, you know. And I think it really traumatized me a little bit. So I put him in counseling. He was in counseling. And it's, it's, he's doing great now.
1: Beautiful. So,
0: I try not to have that around him if I'm going to argue because, you know, relationship is not a of rose. You're going to have a few arguments, like, you know what I mean, but nothing disrespectful. Nothing mm-hmm. is wrong with telling someone what to do is, is how you say it. Mm-hmm. It's not what you say is how you say it.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I always tell my clients when adults are going to have adult conversations, it's always a good idea to have the children step away. Exactly. And many a times we think that go to your room, you know, kids pick up this energy. They truly understand that there's something that's incorrect. So many a times maybe pulling out from that conversation is the best way and having a partner that can understand that it's probably not the best time to speak. And like you said, it's never going to be perfect, but there's always opportunities to learn from these mistakes. Let's talk about some of these strategies, Cheryl. What, What are you offering people when they come to you and say, I think I'm in a situation. Sometimes they won't speak about their selves. They may, oh, you know, I know a lady. or uh, I know someone else. How are you approaching or what strategies can you give our listeners if they're in that type of situation facing domestic violence in that way?
0: To be honest, I never tell someone. I, I don't like to tell someone to honestly leave him, leave him. I would put myself in, in put their self in my shoes. If, if it was me, mm-hmm. what I would do. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, if they're saying that they're in an abusive relationship, I said, I would, I would leave. I'm not saying a person cannot change, mm-hmm. but why stay there while you're changing? You know, separate for a while and um, have them do counseling. Have him, but sometimes they don't want anytime, and I told them, anytime a man abuse you and they're saying that they are not wrong, they are not the problem, it's you and put the blame on you, it's time to leave because that simply means they don't want to change.
1: Yeah, that yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, that that's a lot of difficult. And thank you for you know sharing light and for and for each situation is a specific or different situation. Not one way is going to fix always. Right. So I feel that there is opportunities for us to learn to be patient. Maybe the people who are seeking advice are not ready to just pick up and go at that particular time. Exactly. So, I think that you do it nicely where you're giving them a soft response and saying, Well, you know, if I had to do that and what I know about this is this and offering those outlets, I think that that's a beautiful way to kind of encourage that. Let's talk a little bit about the immigration piece. I know that you somehow became a lawyer in between all of this. You were on the run. You're like one of these movies, you had to be someone else almost in disguise. You had to work and live in different places. What what can you encourage our listeners who are facing this letter, who are facing the five years, who are facing the three years? Tell us a little bit about that, please.
0: Facing the three years, can it be more like, you mean facing deportation? Yes. Well, um, I mean, I have a lot of persons that came to me and 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 tell me that they're facing deportation. A lot of people don't know about the VAWA, mm. which is the Violence Against Women Act. If mm-hmm. you're in an abusive relationship and you have proof that um, you, you you don't have to stay in it because of your undocumented, you can still get your, your, your papers. A lot of them don't know. And I, I, I got a lot of victims, their paper, I, I walked them through the process, you know, and right now they are they are straight and they're good. I remember this Spanish girl, she was speaking Spanish, but I asked, she was crying. So I wanted to know what she's crying about, you know, because I was in a domestic violence shirt at the time. And the person shared with me that her husband tased her and um, shoot her or something like that. So I took her to the place, which is um, Catholic Charity, because they do it cheap. Like $500, they charge her mm-hmm. to go to power. And I took her there right now. she's She has a green card now. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, she has a green card. As far as if you're not in that situation and you're facing deportation, there's not much I could give where that is concerned. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: because I'm not a, um, a lawyer. So I can't tell them what to do. That's but perfect. Thought- you no, know, perfect. And I think that what you're sharing there is enough information to get someone started to at least get to look for VAWA. And when we're thinking about VAWA, any of these victims that are inside the U.S. Right. And have a claim, there are some limitations that we must look at. You know, there are some issues that we must think about if the abuse happened inside of the U S if the abuser is an employee of the U S government or in the U S armed services, it is also possible to file for VAWA in the removal, which what we were just yes. talking about, That's right? There is, but you must file this petition within the two years. This also excludes when the death of the abuser or the spouse either divorces or the person passes away. So there are informations about every case being different. And I like that you were able to let us understand that going to a non-for-profit like Catholic Charities, who have a number of services, there are many places that support these type of services in New York City, and calling again the hotline for domestic violence is a good way to get that started. Because I believe that For you to get from point A to point B, you must understand. So first, report the abuse. Make sure you follow all of the channels. And I know that it could be discouraging. There are many times, well, they're never going to do anything. I'm afraid that now I have to be on the run and different things. But please start by calling 1-800-799-7233. Again, 1-800-799-7233 for those cases And in many instances, if there's any listeners, please reach out to at he's just a social worker. If you needed to have these informations or you needed more supports around this case. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's next for you. Are we thinking about a next book? I know that you and I talked about you doing motivational speaking. What are some of the next moves for you, Cheryl?
0: Well, my next move is to I wanna I wanna go out to the world and just share my story to enlighten others, you know. Um, I wanna be a motivational speaker. Of course, you guys know I'm a gospel singer, mm-hmm. but I want something of more substance. Just to go and someone stays and jump up, jump up, you know. What I mean, I want something that can edify other people, encourage other women and men who's facing domestic violence. So my next move is just to go out to the world, go to the schools. The colleges and speak to um, children you know because we have to start them to, they have to know these things from their young to let them know that you know you know what it starts uh, name calling and all that stuff is not acceptable so i'm doing that that's what i want to do and to bring my stage free all over the world because i remember bringing my stage free to this in um, florida here mm-hmm. and there was this guy that was. In the, watching the stage play and he bust out crying mm. it is very powerful and then the wife emailed me and told me that um, her husband is a changed man ever since he watched the play because he pictured himself on that stage the abuser, you know, he sees himself in that abusive man so he, that, that play really impacted him so I really, really i am very happy about that so I just want to take my play out to the world and Anyone anybody wants to book the play, just to let you know, and you'll reach out to me. And another book, of course, and another book is going to be from deportation, the documentation. Yes. So I'm working on that, too. And just to do the all-white right every year um, for bringing abuse to light, and um, finding love after an abuse. There's a lot of times we think we can't find love after abuse, you can't find love because I did.
1: You know? mm. I'm super excited about joining you on March 16th, and I know it won't be the last time you and I were crossed paths. I'm excited for the men who are listening, just as you shared your audience. There was a male who was impacted, and that is beautiful. When you have at least one person to get touched by such an important message, and that you made a change for them, I mean, I am lifting you up and raising your name because that was a beautiful story that you just shared for us. And thank you, because I think that many of us don't have the courage to admit that we are struggling. Some of us don't have the courage to admit that we are wrong. And it's very difficult to find that. So saying the truth to ourselves may be first, and then finding the ways to get supports may be the second step. But now, Cheryl, tell us about your food game. Are there any specific foods that you cook over others? Because I know you have so many talents. Is food one of them? And what is your favorite dish to cook?
0: To be honest with you, I'm not a food person. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: I love fruits and vegetable. But if I should pick, I probably would pick maybe um I like mm, curry. Curry I'm a with white rice, curry chicken, curry goat. Okay. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm not a and then for maybe Aki, saltfish, dumpling, we all love that.
1: You know. well, thank you, thank you for 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 sharing. I was thinking that, you know, us from the Caribbean, we're always connecting food. So I said, she can sing, she can write books. Ah, I can cook, I can cook, I can cook. <laughs> we 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 can definitely see that these are skills that you have. Some are greater than others. But thank you so yes. much for like sharing that in that side of it. You know, what what are the things that, that you talked about, which I think was very powerful, and I want to give another opportunity for this is your belief, your spirituality, and your faith. And I know that that worked for you. And many of us who are not in that realm may not see spirituality. Are there other areas that you think people can find support so they may have not looked or people that they can seek? Are there any ideas or maybe talk about what you did during your journey, because you never lost the faith and you and you can tell us more about how that worked for you at these and throughout your life.
0: Well, I joined support groups. That helps. Mm. Um, again, you know, pray prior is the answer. That's the key. You know, because I'm many times we're weak. We got so weak. You know, we fall for these sorries and excuses i'll never do it again and you start to sorry for them because love you know mm-hmm. so i just asked the lord to give me strength to just let go and never look back and that's what happened i never look back i gotta love me first you have to love yourself first before you love somebody else you know what i mean try love, to love
1: yourself yeah first. love that love yourself period yeah. because you have to put the face mask on first before you help the other survive exactly now, I want you to have an opportunity to take the floor. The floor is yours. What do you want to tell our listeners to remember about this journey? maybe yours, maybe the domestic violence one, maybe the immigration one, maybe both. What do you want our listeners to remember when they are struggling in any type of situation like this?
0: I want them to know that every setback it it's for a greater comeback all right um, you you because you have to have something to pray about. You can't just have something good at all times. You have to have something to pray about. And sometimes God put us in that position for us to pray. And uh, sometimes I mean, I say this, God put me, and a lot of people would say, I don't understand, Cheryl, God put me in jail for a reason. Because underneath that negative was a positive. Because if I was running from the law, I would not have papers today. So mm. he allowed me to get caught. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And now, you know, because when I was in jail, I sing and a lot of people was motivated. Everybody was calling me, I want to go to your church. I got maybe hundreds of people calling, um, giving me their numbers. And when I, I mean, when I was in jail, I sing. I have a guitar in there and I start to sing. I am praying, blessed Savior. I mean, police officers was crying. So sometimes God put a position to recognize him. So I think God set me up, you know, because he knows that underneath that negative was a positive. So, you know.
1: Well, you know what? Thank you for that beautiful message. And before you go, can you give us a little taste of that song that saved you and saved so many people?
0: Yes. I am praying, blessed Savior, to be more and more like thee. I am praying that thy spirit, like a dove, may rest on me. Thou knowest all oh, my weakness, Thou would knowest all my fears. I am pleading, precious promise, hearing, there and and there and So I'm going to say a little prayer for the victims, a prayer for the abused victims, which is in my book also. Father, according to your word, it is your will that we should have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I'm asking you to touch the life of those who are experiencing or have experienced abuse. Lord, I pray today for victims who are enduring abuse, those who feel confused and those who are in their ropes and and do not know where to turn. Give them peace as you allow them to enter into the right decisions. Lord, you know exactly how and why a heart breaks, and it is not your desire for your children to hurt. Lord, touch the life of those experiencing feelings of anger Frustration, bitterness, or sadness mend their hearts where it hurts and minister to their emotional pain. Lord, we pray for healing and for you to restore victims' brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Let's remember this. Setbacks, every step of failure is the compass that's guiding you towards unparalleled success. And these are lessons in disguise. Because on this platform, it was built because way too often we were overlooked and we were labeled, but this is no longer. Our plight and our fight is for anyone and everyone who feels a need to be understood. We are strong as individuals, but unstoppable when we unite. Tune in, friends, to another He's Just a Social Worker show coming to the town, new town near you, real soon. We out. Please note that the views expressed here are my own and not a representation of my employers and clients. Thank you for listening. We're always here for you. Just message us and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. Thank you more than just at he's just a social worker. In memory of my mother, Matilde De La Rosa. This is dedicated to you, mom. Miss you so much.